Here we go. You are listening to Wednesday's Law and Gospel on this August the 19th in the year of our Lord 2020. And what we have been doing for the past Wednesdays is taking a look at CFW Walther's Law and Gospel Lectures that he gave in the 1880s. This one is the 18th evening lecture, and we're still on thesis number nine. There's 25 of them, and he spends the majority of his lectures on thesis nine. So how does he begin this one? He begins something with which I am somewhat familiar. Here's what he says. Imagine how a prisoner on death row for his misdeeds would feel if he were unable to verify a vague rumor that he would be pardoned. How dreadful he would feel. He gets a knock on his cell door and he doesn't know whether or not he's going to be pardoned or taken to be executed. I, I kind of uh, had that experience. Some years ago, I was preaching at a church in Dallas, Texas, and they had set up an opportunity for me to also speak to prisoners at the federal penitentiary near there. And after talking to them, I was trying to get across to them what forgiveness is. I said, what if the warden came in and said to you that you are forgiven? What would be your reaction? And I said, would any of you agree that you would be released from prison? And they all agreed to that. And I said, now you understand Christianity. Because in Christianity, when God announces the forgiveness of sins to you, what that means is you are no longer held liable for the punishment. For the punishment was done by Jesus Christ. So that's what I actually did at a federal penitentiary. Walter continues that from a spiritual point of view, every person is by nature in a similar condition. They often understand that they're under a divine sentence of both earthly and eternal death. They may have heard vague rumors that God forgives them, but they have no certainty about it. So, this is the point of this evening lecture. How can you be certain that God forgives you? He says, how can it be that a loving, kind, gracious, and merciful God has done nothing to make us certain that we have the forgiveness of our sins? Yes, he has done something. In fact, it's so great what he has done that it's hard to understand it. He sent his only begotten son into the world, making him a human being like us. He laid the burden of our sins upon him and gave him up to be crucified for the atonement of our sins. 
Now, after doing all this, would God really leave us for our entire life in a dreadful state of ignorance concerning whether he is still our enemy and whether our dying day will also be our judgment day? No. And Walter gives this example. As soon as the Son of God became man, that be Christmas, a highest messenger was dispatched to earth, and that was an angel, to proclaim to the shepherds, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. That's Luke chapter 10. Also, Christ commanded his disciples in Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And in Mark 16, 15, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In fact, what is the message of Christianity? God uses messengers, not just angels, but other human beings to say you are redeemed. Your sins are forgiven. Heaven is thrown open to you. Unfortunately, this wonderful joy is polluted by false doctrine. And therefore, this is what Walther says about the ninth thesis that is the central one in the entire series of 25. Because anyone who understands this will be able to rightly distinguish law and gospel. And he repeats it. You are not rightly distinguishing law and gospel in the word of God if you point sinners who have been struck down and terrified by the law toward their own prayers and struggles with God and tell them they have to work their way into a state of grace. That is, do not tell them to keep on praying and struggling until they would feel that God has received them into grace. Rather, point them toward the word and the sacraments. Can, can you understand that? That a prisoner who is destined to be executed, is told, well, if you are forgiven, just pray about it and get yourself to feel it. No, that's not going to work unless he hears from the warden himself or a messenger that he has been forgiven. It's at this point, Walther expands on what he had said the previous week on absolution. He says, yes, even the papists, and those would be the priests in the Roman Catholic Church, they may use sweet terms in pronouncing absolution, but they are offering the people only the husk with the kernel removed. We saw that last week, where not only do you have to sincerely be repentant but you also have to do some work to offset. It's called penance, so that you can be sure your sin is forgiven. 
Walter then points to the story of the paralyzed man whose sin was also forgiven. And the hypocritical Pharisees murmured, saying, This man is blaspheming Jesus. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, you don't argue with Jesus because he'll come back, and he often does it with a question. And he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? The Pharisees refuse to reply because they know the Lord will catch them in their own words. If you say it's easier to say to a person, your sins are forgiven, than to a paralyzed man, rise up and walk, they are afraid he might say the latter because the Lord had performed many amazing miracles. And that's what he does. The man is able to rise up and walk, goes to his house rejoicing because God has also forgiven his sins. Now the people who witness all this, they know that Christ is a man, and now they begin to glorify God for having given the power of the forgiveness of sins to human beings, which Jesus is. He's a man. Walter then talks about examples of this in Germany. The churches of the rationalists are empty, but every church is packed when the pulpit is occupied by an individual who is preaching with the manifestation of the spirit and of power. What was rationalism? they tried to explain uh, to the people the deeds they were supposed to do. They even had sermons on proper crop rotation. And of course, their whole goal was to help you become a better Christian by their language. Uh, alas, Walter says, even today, there are preachers who use lofty language to such a degree that people do not grasp the true message. Not only must we pastors, and remember, Walter is talking to seminarians who will soon be pastors. Not only must we proclaim the truth, we must do it in such a way that a peasant, that means a common lay person, listening outside of the sanctuary, understands the message, and they feel drawn into the church. This is the way to be saved. There is no other way. There are sermons that may penetrate the minds of people, but it does not enter their hearts where it is to lodge. He quotes Luther, the Anabaptists. Now, these are folks who were against baptism because they say, how can we receive forgiveness of sins through baptism? That's nothing but a handful of water there. If we're really to be purified from sin, the Holy Spirit must do it. Water cannot do it. In this way, Luther says they strip forgiveness of sins away from the word and refuse to leave the matter 
where the good people here put it, who glorified God for giving such power to Jesus as a man to forgive sins. So the Anabaptists think that baptism water does the trick, but they're missing the point. The water does not have any particular spiritual force. Baptism water is just water, like any other water. But it is connected with the word of God and a promise. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. And many other promises connected with baptism. Uh, you wish to be saved? Peter says to the folks at Pentecost, be baptized and believe the promise of God, and you will be saved. The Anabaptists and many of the Reform have constructed an entirely new way about which the Bible does not say a word, that people are to struggle until they can say, now I feel that I have obtained grace. This is an awful doctrine, Walther says, much more harmful than most people imagine. And then he also deals with the Lord's Supper, where once more fanatics say that the sacrament consists only of bread and wine. In fact, they give the impression that we ask God to forgive our sins and then wait for an angel to come from heaven and announce your sins are forgiven? No. The important point is not how you feel. This is really an important point that Walther makes because how are we to feel forgiven when we see all the sin we're doing? The important point is not how you feel, but how the person whom you insulted feels. And the only way you know about that is to hear assurance from that person. Unless the insulted party tells you that he has forgiven you, then you really don't know whether there is forgiveness. It's the same way with God. You cannot conclude from your feelings or maybe divine blessings showered upon you from God. Like the Pharisees, uh, they were rich. They had a lot of sheep. Uh, people would look up to them. Obviously, God loves us and has forgiven us. Well, the problem is, the Bible says God makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good alike. And he sends rain upon the just and the unjust. That's Matthew 5, 45. So if the same blessings come to good and evil, how can the evil jump to the conclusion that they are saved? The only way you can know that your sins are forgiven is not by feeling it, but because God says it. But where does he say it? In his word. 
in the gospel, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, at absolution. These are the ways. This is why we should not waste much time waiting for an angel to come from heaven announcing our forgiveness. God has given us no promise to that effect. And if he had, we could indeed confidently ask for such a messenger. But God doesn't do that. So some would object, baptism is just mere water. But it's not water alone. It is connected to God's word. And that's why when absolution is announced, it often is announced in this way. By Christ's authority, I forgive you your sins. God wants to forgive sins, but he does it in no other way than by giving people the authority to forgive sins. And therefore, you want the forgiveness of sins? You seek it from fellow human beings and from nowhere else. That's what Matthew 18, verse 18 says. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. John 20, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. God doesn't tolerate, Walther says, the building of special ladders and stairways to heaven. Uh, by means of your feelings. He alone wants to be the sole architect. And remember that dream in the Old Testament that Jesus was bringing people to him. For though human beings are talking to you, still what they say is not their own word. It's God's word. Therefore, you should believe it. Uh, Luther writes in one of his sermons, Walter quotes it, whenever you pronounce a word of absolution upon a, a sinner, it is spoken in heaven and is as valid as if God himself had spoken it, for he is in your mouth. We would not be able to administer absolution if God the Father had not risen Christ from the dead. For this declaration is based on the fact that God the Father glorified Christ, our substitute, and therefore, therefore proclaimed in the presence of heaven and earth that all people are redeemed and reconciled and their sins are forgiven. Walter had made a visit back to Germany and he was very sad when he heard a pastor say, a layman may proclaim truths of great comfort to others, but he cannot administer absolution because it is a privilege that God has reserved for pastors who are ordained and installed by the church. No, Walter disagrees with that, that the office of the keys was given to the entire church. In fact, in one of our old hymnals, at the back, we have an emergency form of baptism for the laity. 
I had a call from one of our listeners. Uh, he lives in California, and he was with a friend uh, fishing in uh, beautiful waters, a uh, lake, I believe it was. And the friend and he were talking about salvation. And the friend asked, would he be willing to baptize him? And our listener to KFUO baptized him using the proper formula. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And also adding some other items to it to assure of the forgiveness of sins. And that individual received not only the forgiveness of sins, but the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if a pastor were a completely holy person, he never did any sin, uh, even if he was an archangel, none of that would aid in the least in making absolution valid. But when even a sinful human being speaks the word of the gospel, that is effective and good. Walter has a little bit of a confession here. I have to confess that it was from this treasure of Luther that I first learned what the gospel is at a time when I thought it, but actually did not. It's when Luther wrote on the treatise of the keys and Walther talks about he was really imbued with pietism, which was false teaching, until he heard Luther. And what Luther said is this, that the keys or the forgiveness of sins is not based on our contrition, repentance, or worthiness as the papists teach and corrupt. Contrition is necessary, but it is not the means for acquiring the forgiveness of sins. It is instead the message of the gospel. We must hold on to the keys because it is through the keys that God speaks to us. What are the keys? The way of opening heaven to us. Luther says, you, you shouldn't ask about your state of repentance. For anybody who builds his hope on that would be building on sand. On the contrary, a person needs to praise God for the absolution he has heard. And that makes his contrition or repentance salutary. The right procedure is not to base the validity of absolution on our own contrition, but to make our contrition rest on our absolution. And if a person doesn't believe the absolution, the word from God, you are then making God a liar. And what Walther says is a pervert, which means to transfer something into its opposite. And God is not a pervert. It's true we can't look into people's hearts, but that's not necessary. We should look only at the word of our Heavenly Father, which informs us that God has absolved the whole world. 
the sins of all humans have been forgiven. And this, does it apply to an ungodly scoundrel who might be plotting a burglary tonight? No, absolution wouldn't work there because he does not accept the forgiveness of sins. And it would be wrong to absolve him because you would cast in your pearls before swine. But Christ says, whatever you bind on earth, this is really good. Here's what Walther says. Note that he promises most certainly that what we bind on or loose on earth will be bound or loosed in heaven. These keys work without fail. Jesus does not say, what I bind or loose in heaven will also be bound or loose on earth. No, what we bind and loose. So Walter makes a point that when we dissolve, that is our work, and yet it is also the work of Jesus. It's an identical operation. It's not two operations. Do your work, and mine will already be accomplished. Bind and loose, and I will have bound and loose. God forgives us by having his word spoken to us. This is a wonderful section to show the importance of absolution. So that even, Walter says, if the pastor is the son of hell, but when he forgives people and pronounces absolution to them, God also forgives. Great section to help us have the evidence and assurance of the salvation of our souls. Tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to be with Wes Reimnitz talking once more about an issue you will be interested in. I'm Tom Baker. Thanks for listening to today's Law and Gospel. God bless you. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.